though Ellerina is super bright, her next guest is even brighter. Uh Hmm, that sounds about right. She's a general practitioner from the Madhurabar General Practice and the Assistant Professor of General Practice at Bond University. Keeping us informed, calm and up to date with the latest in medical news, it's Dr Tash Yates. Yay! Good morning, Dr Tash. Good morning. We love our Tuesdays with you, yeah. Tash. Tash Tuesday, we call it now. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Actually, no, we call it terrific Tash Tuesday, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Now, this morning, Tash, we were um, having a, a little bit of a chat um, that you had been asked quite a lot about uh, kids and vaccines. So could you shed a bit of light upon this, please? Yeah, sure. So in Australia, kids who are 12 and over with certain conditions, certain either disabilities or, or medical conditions, can actually go and get a Pfizer vaccine right now. And this is something that's probably only been the last couple of weeks it's been available. Um, so we've been having heaps of parents um, come in and ask, you know, should my child be getting this um, what, do they qualify? What are the risks, etc.? But it's probably also important to know, even if you have a child in that age group um, who doesn't have a disability or, or a health condition, it will be available for kids as of next Monday. So by the time we're talking next week, um, it will have started to roll out to all children 12 and over. So then you've got to ask, and you know, I've got kids in that age group, should we actually be getting the vaccine just because it's available for them? Does it actually mm. make a difference? Well, that's the question. Well, I'm not I'm not an anti-vaxxer. In fact, as you know, I'm getting the Pfizer myself. But is there enough research behind it to show that it is okay for kids at this time? Well, when it comes to kids with a disability um, or a medical condition, particularly if they've got a heart or a lung um, condition or let's say they've got cancer or they've, they've recovered from cancer, definitely there's evidence for that. Um, I think nobody doubts that those children are much more likely to end up in intensive care or, or even sadly dying, although the death rate from COVID for children is, is very small. Um, so I would, I would definitely put my hand on my heart and say, yes, if your child falls into that category, um, please go and, and at least have a chat with a doctor about it. Um, it becomes much more difficult when you're talking then about um, otherwise fit and healthy kids because mm. they are, um, you know, the whole point of the vaccine is to stop them from dying um, or in, ending up in intensive care. And we know that children, while they do get COVID and, and they're getting it in huge numbers right now, the Delta strain is really starting to take them out. They're not getting, as a general rule, they're not getting terribly sick. Um, now, just because there are such large numbers who are catching it, then statistically, um, we are seeing the occasional child who's getting unwell enough to end up in intensive care. And that's what's scaring parents. And they're coming in and saying, wow, should my, should my child get vaccinated? I don't want them to end up in ICU. So I guess, you know, I'm very pro-vaccine um, when it's there to protect us and to save lives, as you know. Um, I just think when we're coming to kids, it's not quite as black and white yet. But Jodie, your question about is it safe, um, mm. I think, you know, really the vaccine, um, we know it's been tested in adults in basically in the millions now. It has also been given in the US and in many other countries, Canada, Italy, France, etc., in the millions as well. So we can look at safety now. And probably the big thing that parents need to know about is that um, children are getting a side effect from
from this vaccine. Um, and you'll read about it if you start reading about it. So let's let's talk about that side effect. Have you have you guys heard about the side effect at all? No. Well, a lot of different things, but that I don't know are true or yeah, not. Yeah, we never know if it's <laughs> mixed communication or you know. <laughs> so you you tell us because you're generally our guiding light. Okay, well, this is something that is factually based. This is not something I read on Facebook or Google. Um, this is what the data is showing that actually um, quite a significant, particularly number of boys, so about 40 to 60 per million boys and about 4 to 8 per million girls will get inflammation of their heart from the vaccine. So that means that the, the sac lining their heart, something we call pericarditis, or their actual heart muscle itself, something we call myocarditis, um, and it gives them a really painful chest. Mm. Um, they can find it difficult to breathe. They can feel really unwell. Um, now, the thing about that is it's quite high incidence, so 40 to 60 per million. Remember, when we're talking about the clotting problem, mm. um, we're talking you know, people dying from that about one per million. So it's a much, much higher rate in Pfizer um, to get the side effect. But here's the thing that we do need to know. Children are not dying from this. They are getting pain, they're feeling unwell, and that's lasting sometimes several weeks. Sometimes it's keeping them out of sport for weeks. But it is not leaving them any scarring. It's not leaving them any long-term damage, and it is obviously leaving them then protected from COVID. Mm. And um, the myocarditis that you get from COVID, because you can actually also get myocarditis from COVID, seems to occur in children much more than at a higher rate than it would appear um, that it, it happens from the vaccine. And that myocarditis can leave permanent scarring on the heart. Mm. So in other words, if your child's going to encounter COVID in, in its raw form, um, they can get myocarditis and end up with scarring of the heart. If they encounter um, myocarditis from the vaccine, they're going to get chest pain and, and myocarditis, but it's going to be um, something that settles. But important to know that that's the side effect. Yeah, I mean, I know that you say um, that there's no long-term damage, but how can we actually tell when we've only been giving it to them for the past year? Like, we don't really know what's going to happen in eight to ten years, though, do we? Uh, from the vaccine itself? Yeah, from the vaccine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so certainly um, vaccines, we haven't obviously seen the COVID vaccine um, rolled out for longer than, gosh, about nine months now. Mm. But the thing about vaccines, it's, it's the way that they work is, is quite um, different to the way that, let's say, medications work. So a vaccine works by essentially presenting a, a um, antigen to your body, so it shows your body a little picture of, of a baddie, and then your body either decides it's going to learn to fight it or it doesn't. And then the vaccine's gone. It does not hang around in your body. It cannot do anything else. Um, it, it just kind of comes and goes. And I, I often give the analogy of it's a bit like someone coming into your house to teach you how to use your computer and then leaving. They can't keep damaging your computer. Mm. Um, you either decide to, to listen to what they've said and, and use your computer that way or you don't. Medications, on the other hand, can have longer-term effects. You can see effects weeks or months down the track because that's like someone coming to your house every single day and loading up your computer and, and getting you on it and, and teaching you how to use it every single day, and, and certainly that can cause problems. They, we've been giving vaccines for 200 years, and there have never been side effects that have shown up um, more than two or three months down the track. Mm. Now, there are side effects that show up after the first couple of days or couple of weeks that are still there two or three months down the track, but there've never been ones that show up 
kind of out of the blue two or three months down the track. And we've now been giving these vaccines for nine months. If there were going to be things that showed up, they would have shown up by now. Yeah. You did mention something about um, medications having long-term side effects, but not necessarily the vaccines. But speaking of medications, there is something that has come up quite a lot on my Facebook of people posting saying that um, Israeli scientists say that COVID-19 could be treated for under a dollar a day using ivermectin. Can you please um, <laughs> let us in on some insights on this? <laughs> sure. So ivermectin is something that has been researched now for well over a year. It first came out as a possibility um, over a year ago and it, it's something that showed in the lab, actually showed to uh, definitely be effective against COVID. The problem is the doses they were using in the lab would definitely kill a human being if you gave it to humans. So um, they then decided to run out trials in humans, but obviously in much lower doses. Now, ivermectin, the great thing about ivermectin is it is a a drug that's readily available. Um, It is cheap um, and it's definitely safe in the doses that we use it for at the moment. So at the moment, we use it for scabies and intestinal worms. So um, we do use it um, quite a lot worldwide um the basically the 30 second summary is that at the moment even though it's been touted for the last year there is still not enough evidence to say whether it is um effective as a treatment and it's still not enough evidence to say if it's effective as a prevention um which makes me become less and less excited about it you know i really was hopeful when when it first was touted Mm. but if you remember the dexamethasone story you might remember that (laughs) that is dexamethasone is a very similar drug it's in from the perspective that it is something that's been around for a lot um we know what doses to use it's safely it's very cheap it's off patent so no one's really making money out of it um and when they started to research it it showed really positive effects and it reduced death rate by 30 percent and so it's now used and has been used for for many many months Mm. um my feeling is that if if ivermectin had got that same kind of efficacy um we would be seeing it rolled out now now, I think probably, you know, this, the story that you've seen, um, the, the Israeli um, uh, research scientists. Yeah. So they, their study um, was one of many, um, sadly, very poorly done studies. So um, they had less than 100 patients, they only had 89 patients. Um, it's up in preprint, but honestly, I had a quick glance through. It would not pass peer review. Um, they, they made so many mistakes in it. Um, they didn't actually follow through on what they said they were going to do. They made changes along the way um, as to what they were looking for. For example, they initially said they were going to look at patients. They were looking at treatment and they were looking at patients who actually were already sick. And then partway through, they changed to looking at um patients who weren't sick who who didn't have any symptoms and you've got to kind of wonder why would you change that as you go along that that's actually um not good science at all and so i think i mean that was one of a number of flaws of that particular study and this has actually dogged the research for ivermectin which has been very frustrating because you know we would love to find a treatment um we would also love to find a prevention um for, for covid so just um i guess the other point in that article was they were saying um it's very cheap and so less than a dollar a day but you know what cheap is 
fairly relative thing. So you, you could say that the vaccines are very cheap in that you only need to give a couple of doses and maybe a boosted dose. Um, and you, you can do that all for under $50 per person, even if you're using some of the much more expensive ones like Pfizer, much, much cheaper if you're using AstraZeneca. If you have, at the moment, I just looked up before we got on, on, on to our chat, 220 million people have now been recorded as affected with COVID. Imagine if someone's making one cent out of each person putting them on ivermectin. Yeah, wow. They're walking away with $22 million. Yeah. It's not that... Um, you know, it might be cheap to the end user, but someone's still making money out of it. So when people come up and say, oh, Big Pharma is blocking studies and Big Pharma is stopping this information from getting out there, I'm thinking, uh, that's that's really strange. Big Pharma, if they really thought that this was going to make money, they would be all over it. True. Um, but I, I think the problem is that the studies have just really been underwhelming, Yeah. Um, which is really sad. I would love to see good studies. But the good news is, um, that Oxford Uni has actually commenced a study just a few weeks ago. Um, they've got over 6,000 people enrolled, which will mean that when those results come in, uh, we will have much better data. At the moment, if you add together all the studies that have been done on ivermectin all around the world um, that have passed peer review, there are less than 2,000 people altogether that have been tested, which is tiny yeah, yeah. 2000 people might sound like a lot to you but from a from a scientific perspective you don't want to be rolling out something to the whole world based on less than 2000 people when we looked at vaccines there were tens of thousands of people who'd been tested before it even got to the the stage of being looked at um by the government as as working on so anyway this oxford study um 6000 people um it's called the principal study if anyone's interested in looking at p r i n c i p l e and um yeah they they Oxford Uni um, does research really well, really ethically, robustly, and I'm really hoping that they do find that there's some kind of benefit from ivermectin. But from the evidence we've got to date, um, I'm sorry that I can't actually um, say that that it's going to make any kind of an appreciable difference. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's always so good to chat to you, Tash, and just get the the correct info because obviously there's a lot going on out there and, um, yeah, we appreciate you chatting to us and letting us know what's going on. My pleasure. Have a great day, girls. Thanks, you Tash. You too. If you've got any questions for Dr Tash, shoot us a text 048 009 1073.